Welcome to Short Course, episode 79, for October 21st, 2022. I'm your host, Ben Barry. I wanted to start off this return to somewhat regular podcasting with a recap of the 2022 NC section match, a.k.a. the 2022 Carolina Classic. Happened about a month ago. It was uh, the third week in September. Typically, the club where the, the match is hosted, Rowan, they have their match on the second weekend, and typically we we take the second weekend in September. But uh, this past year, the, that weekend was taken by Carry Optics Nationals, and so we ended up rescheduling for the for the third weekend, which worked out fine. We had we actually had better weather. Uh, it was raining the second weekend, and it was totally clear, and if anything, a little on the warm side, the weekend that the match actually happened, which was uh, it was great. The match went off without any big hiccups, just, you know, the minor things that, that come along with any any big operation where you're trying to coordinate this many people doing things in, in such a short period of time. So I just kind of wanted to review some high points, some lessons learned, and either things that I think went well and we should do again in other matches would benefit from emulating, or things that, that we'll do differently next time and, and things that we've learned. Uh, I, I will start by saying uh, my shooting was was nothing spectacular. Uh, I shot carry optics mostly just because um, that's that's where the competition is. I could have shot in production and have a, a, a fairly solid chance at, at taking a you know production state champion title. But honestly, with the participation being what it is, I, I didn't necessarily want to, you know, be one of these guys that's that's picking up trophies because there's not that many people shooting the division. Now, as it was, we did end up having a, a decent number of, of competitors in production and a, a few GMs, which is cool. But it just it, it made sense for me to shoot this in carry optics where I came in, I think, 13th or 14th, pretty far down the list. But again, I would I would rather be stacked up in the field of of competitors than sort of be on top of you know not that many shooters and, and not that many people that take it seriously not that there aren't some people that take production seriously but for whatever reason the, the folks that that used to shoot it around here just don't everybody's ship switched to carry optics and so for for a big match like this that's where i shot i was shooting i had a couple of stock twos each of which have a, a red dot in a egw dovetail mount so it's no no permanent modification to the guns i can take those mounts out and, and put the iron sights back in and shoot them in production if i want luckily i've been fortunate enough to be able to to pick up uh to get a good deal on a couple so i actually have two dedicated co guns and, and two dedicated production guns which is funny because i now have these co guns and i'm not going to shoot them for a few months because i'm training up to shoot the extreme pan-american match down in florida in january which i am totally looking forward to and i'm sure i'll be talking about that more in, in the coming months but yeah i'm back to the back to the iron sights for now I'm planning to shoot that match in production but the dovetail mounts have been fine for me i haven't really noticed any issue finding the dot being able to draw to it uh, even though the you know offset from the bore people talk about it being being high I, I haven't shot any direct milled guns so i don't really have a point of comparison but i haven't noticed an issue even going back and forth between irons and the dot which is cool I mean, it's it's unremarkable. It's nice that it's not a big deal. My standard practice, I so I have some some of the Henning twenty three rounders, and he makes a a plus three that's got a flat base pad that's basically the size of a of a shock bottle production base pad. And so my practice is when I can, I I reload to the the plus threes, just because I'm I'm more confident reloading to the uh, to the the flat base pad 
magazines and and so far that seems to be working i think there were two stages where i reloaded to the big stick and they were on longer moves so i had a little bit more time to kind of focus on on getting that done so that that's kind of my practice for now obviously going you know if i were to shoot even if i shot production optics at the at the extreme match in january it would be with production base pads and so it wouldn't be either of those but yeah the i i would i would recommend the getting some kind of flat base pad plus three uh, if you're just used to, to to reloading production mags, definitely makes life a little easier for me. I did find any any mag with the the grams follower and spring in it just would not feed flat points or truncated cone bullets in in any of my stock twos. They just the the flat very leading edge of the bullet would hang up at the very bottom of the feed ramp. But I just ended up switching to to round nose bullets, which I haven't used in in years, mostly just because you definitely do get a bit cleaner of a perf you're it's easier to call you i find i don't need to call for overlays as much with a, a nice flat point or truncated cone they, they just punch a cleaner hole but if they don't feed in the guns they don't feed in the guns so i, I ended up switching over and, and shooting round nose bullets which worked out just fine and um, yeah other than that the, the match was fairly unremarkable i i was not as trained up as i would like to be mostly because i just i have not been doing a lot of shooting this year i've been feeling really burnt out i i have not felt like investing in USPSA as a sport because honestly it it seems like things have just been going in such a wrong direction that it's really hard for me to get excited to to do anything helping out with the state match gives me a, a lot of satisfaction you know putting our best foot forward making this match hopefully uh you know doing some things that that other folks can copy and 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 aspire to but you know the rest of it I just I couldn't I couldn't find the motivation. Um, now I will say since since announcing that I'm running for area six, now there's a sense that I'm actually working towards making things better. I'm, I'm, I genuinely want to try and, and help improve some of the issues that I and others see. And that's given me a, a lot of motivation. Um, so I've been practicing. Honestly, that's that's part of the reason it's taken me so long to get back to, to doing this podcast there were actually two nice weekends this this past weekend or two nice days this past weekend and so i actually ended up going to the range for both of them and just just trying to shoot a bunch of rounds and just trying to get some some live fire in before the weather sets in and it gets too cold um and and training gets gets somewhat more difficult but yeah the that announcement you know making that choice and, and putting my my foot in to run in the election has has sort of made me motivated but yeah going into this match i basically had not been practicing or really taking shooting seriously this year just because it it, it, it was impossible for me to really summon the motivation to to try and invest in something that seemed like it was doing its best to, to drive straight into the ground so that's about all i have to say about my shooting talking about the match itself lessons learned things that went well things that could be improved definitely i think this match was one of the best ones that we've run in a long time possibly since since the match moved to rowan uh, i think it, it probably is the best one we've run yet we definitely had the biggest turnout and the it seems like the turnout from people traveling the furthest uh just in terms of the the distance that some that some folks were, were willing to travel hopefully i assume because the word has gotten out that this match is relatively quality and they they were willing to take the take the gamble right every match that you sign up for is is a bit of a risk you don't know if it's going to be what it's going to be but hopefully we have enough of a track record that people are willing to to, to book the travel and, and make the trip to, to come shoot this match from fairly far away which is 
certainly humbling. You know, we, we try and make this match as good as we possibly can. And so hopefully that's working. Things that were different this month. So one thing that, or this year, um, one thing that was, that was very different and really was, it was one of those, everybody was talking about it kind of things was a, an idea that Nathan Carter of shooting sports innovations came up with. And basically we just renumbered the stages so that they staggered. He called it the, the diverging diamond, which if you Google it, it's a, it's a traffic pattern where you basically end up driving on the left side of the road as you go over and uh, over a bridge. And then you sort of drive back to the, the right side of the road, but it ends up being very efficient for uh, interstate interchange type things. But in this particular pattern, basically every time you moved stages, you skipped a bay. And so stage one was on bay one, but stage two was on bay three and stage three was on bay five. And this all sounds really confusing. We had a diagram. Really the, the thing that, that made it work was Nathan had these big flags on each stage. So it was really easy to see, okay, I'm on stage three. Where am I going? Stage four. Okay. It's over there. I'm just going to the flag. I think something like that would definitely be necessary if you wanted to run it this way, but it worked out really well for us because what it buys you is when you have people going one bay at a time, the people at the last bay either have a long walk all the way back to the first bay, which messes with your match flow or what we have done in, in the past years was we would cycle golf carts and we would actually have two or three guys with golf carts and just driving people from that bay from bay you know stage nine bay nine all the way back to stage one bay one just to keep things flowing that worked but obviously it, it required us to rent a few more golf carts and uh, basically you know have staff just to drive people around by by doing it this way basically instead of instead of having a bunch of short moves and one really long one from nine back to one it made every move a sort of short medium distance and i think it worked from the people that I've talked to, they said that it, it was generally effective. It was, you know, kind of confusing at first, but once you get the hang of it, it, it made sense. And so you basically end up, if you started on bay one, then you'd go all the way to the end and halfway through the day, you'd be at the, you know, bay nine. And then you'd basically work your way back again, alternating bays, uh, on the way back. And for the layout of, of our range where all the bays are right next to each other, I think it worked out. It's, it's definitely something that we'll be looking at next year. I think I haven't heard any, any major complaints about it. So that was good as is typical for this match, the way it's been run since 2018, 2019, whenever it was at, at Sir Walter for the first time, uh, not, not the first time for the most recent time is it is a, a staff reset match. And so the competitors didn't paste or reset a, a single target or piece of steel. And, Obviously, this is something I've talked about on the podcast before, but it just it, it really is so cool to see it in action. The, the fact that the shooter to shooter times can be that much lower, the number of reshoots are just so much lower because you have the same people setting the same steel, setting the same movers, pacing the same targets in the same order. It, it basically eliminates the, the issue of an unpasted target or a piece of a mover that's set wrong or a piece of steel that is out of calibration, but nobody notices it as the, as the RO setting it, you are, you are aware of how heavy it feels. And so, but you can adjust it between squads and that's only ever eight to 10 shooters away because with the way we run it, it's, it's also pretty small squads. So everything keeps moving really well. And we do, we, we do all this. We still have five minute walkthroughs, which I think is important as a competitor, The It's nice 
that competitors can show up the day before the match. But I think especially for a, a state match like this, if you can have your stages built in a way where competitors don't necessarily need to spend 15, 20 minutes looking at each stage, they can mostly walk up, see generally where the targets are and have a pretty good plan. That, that's something to work towards. I, I think it's it's very tempting to build these very complicated plans or very complicated stages under the name of or in the interest of providing a lot of quote unquote options. And what I find when you look at a lot of stages that that, you know, someone says has a lot of options, usually what that means is you have to spend 15 minutes looking at it to, to pick a plan. And at the end of the day, uh, you know, I, I think I, I don't know that that necessarily is is the best metric of, of what's a good test of shooting. So, you know, I think you can have stages that are challenging and reward skill and trade-offs without necessarily having to, you know, pick from five or six different available plans. But that's that's more of a personal opinion. But with this match, the the stages I think were were pretty straightforward. Um, people, you know, could the five minute walkthrough I think definitely helped. People that could show up early were able to. I'm amazed that I even have to say this, but there were some competitors that shot with staff on staff day, and they were allowed to walk stages the day before i i it would not have occurred to me that that was something i needed to say but apparently at pcc nationals this past week some competitors who had come to shoot with staff because they're shooting another match this weekend were kicked off the range because the staff were apparently a quote unquote still building stages or something but yeah if you're if you're paying as a competitor to come shoot the match you get a chance to look at the stages just like everyone else so that's that's just a competitive equity fairness issue. So we do that. Yay. Again, that just seems like it should be assumed, but here we are. And if you haven't listened to any other, the times that I've talked about staff reset, the, the, the high level is you don't necessarily have to raise the match fees. You can get more shooters through the same number of stages, and it really doesn't take that many staff to run a, a given bay if you've got a bunch of 32 rounders yeah you're probably going to need more staff but if you have a good mix of short medium and long courses on most stages you can have one person with a paster gun doing most or all of the, the pasting you can have one person with a can of paint go set the steel and paint it and the timer ro can turn around and paste the last few targets after they're done scoring while the tablet ro goes and gets the approval from the from the shooter and so with three or four people you can run most stages as long as everybody is is contributing and, and understands their assignment and, and gets to it as soon as the range is called clear which is i mean to me it's without question the way every level two match should run but you know we obviously that's how we do it here in north carolina but it's uh far from a far from a universal practice one other in interesting incident about staff reset from from this match was we had a few shooters who'd flown in from Utah and they apparently had some issue where a flight actually got one flight got canceled and another shooter's flight got moved up a few hours and so he had booked it with enough time to finish the match and then get a ride to the airport and because this flight had been moved up their whole group was in jeopardy with their their shooting schedule on sunday because i guess two of them were flying out and one of them was giving them a ride to the airport and the we ended up being able to work it out where they actually shot a couple of stages at the end of the day saturday and that meant that they were able to take off a few stages early and and make this flight now obviously this isn't a 
practice that really becomes sustainable if you have to do this for a lot of a lot of shooters so it's it was kind of a one-off thing but in this scenario where we had a couple of guys that had flown literally across the country to come shoot our match we were we were inclined to try and accommodate them and and when i say we i mean the match director i I really was not involved with with this decision in any way uh but i just say we as as a member of the staff for the match and so the the staff working i think it was two or three stages just stayed a little later ran them i think it was two or three or four shooters ran them through those stages and then they were able to take off early on sunday and as as uh, they pointed out if this were not a staff reset match they would feel really bad cutting out on the match early because they would be leaving their squad in the lurch but because it was a staff reset match not only were we able to run them through a few stages ahead of time on the the day before they were scheduled to shoot they were able to take off and their squad didn't suffer because they weren't losing a bunch of people to help reset and um yeah it was was one of those things that to me i'd never really thought of it as as an advantage or a possible use case but the fact that we were able to improvise and make it work was uh, it was cool it was it's it's nice when you have the flexibility to to do things like that and you know other than that the 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 rest of the trick it's just about trying to to save people where you can so the nc section has has bought a whole box of paster guns i think we have two for every stage so 18 or 20 of them because we run nine stages and so they just the, the section owns them they come out for the state match and and they're always there to be used and that way you can have one person keeping up almost with the, the the timer and the tablet ro as they're scoring and pasting because obviously with a paster gun you can paste almost as fast as you can visually score like i said by by using this new numbering scheme we we're able to save a few people and a few golf carts from having to to drive the competitors around which again we'll do it if 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 it makes sense for the match flow but not having to do it being able to save those people and reallocate them somewhere else was was beneficial and then just i can't thank bill duda enough for for making the trip down bringing all of his his equipment and and running the stats for the match because there again it it saved us having to have a person copying scores for paper backup so it saved us nine people on staff by just having the the technology set up so that as soon as the shooter hit approve the score log was uploaded and it it went to their email and so again we, we didn't have to mess with paper backups at all so that that's the trick yeah you know with staff reset you you try and allocate the people where they're needed and you try and sort of pull them off of any other unnecessary job we we had our quartermaster he was driving around and he would deliver water to the coolers that we had on the bays but we didn't have one person dedicated to just driving around with the the water for the staff and the competitors because we just had the the staff we had a sign-up sheet and one person per stage brought a cooler and then there was just a cooler on the bay with the water for the the competitors and the staff to share and there was a we kept it stocked with ice and, and with water, but we didn't have to have somebody on a golf cart driving around delivering that kind of thing. Something else that was a, a new thing for us this year is we ran staff day a little bit differently. So we actually had embedded ROs with the staff squads. So we had four squads shooting on staff day and we had one person dedicated to just running the timer for every shooter on that squad all day. And that was nice because, yes, on staff day, we were pasting and resetting for ourselves and we were having to juggle the the tablet around among the competitors. But at least we had one dedicated person who was just focused on running a timer. And so you weren't playing the game of, oh, who's got their mags loaded? Who can take the timer? Now, as it happened, the way that we did it this year, the people who ran the staff 
squads on Friday had actually shot in a small squad of their own on Thursday, which ended up creating various other logistical issues. And, and I don't think we'll be repeating that. That that was definitely a lesson learned. But what we've talked about is the idea of there are some folks that perhaps they want to volunteer and, and help the match, but they also want to shoot with some friends on a squad on Saturday or Sunday. Well, if they volunteer to be an embedded RO and run a squad on Friday, then they can just shoot as a regular competitor on the weekend and then you've got your your embedded ROs for the staff, which definitely is is a benefit. You know, you want to give your staff every chance to shoot well. You're never going to shoot as well on staff day. It's but the the closer you can get to the full competitor experience, the better. And so I think that's that's probably something we'll look at and adjust next year and and see if we can get some folks that are willing to, like I said, work Friday and then shoot sometime Saturday or Sunday on a regular squad, but they've contributed to the to the enterprise by running the the squad on staff day. As far as lessons learned, I think the big ones are around stages, stage design and and stage construction. And I think the, the big one for me is I have typically shown up on build day and, and helped build the, the stages, but also I've tried to look at the stages, look at the diagrams and either, find places where the stage wasn't quite built to, to the diagram, right? A lot of times your, your stage building crew might not necessarily appreciate some of the nuances of target positioning or angling or, or the, the orientation or, or relative position of walls, that sort of thing. Um, or sometimes it's just trying to, trying to tweak a stage on the ground that might have been a, a decent design, but it just, once it's actually on the ground, either it's, it just, it's not working for some reason. And so I've, I've always tried to, contribute to the match in that way by looking through the stages trying to find okay is there a place where we can make this position more interesting by slightly spreading out the targets or changing the angles or putting up a barrel stack so you have to move a little bit to to you can't you know see these two targets from one spot you have to take a little half step to see them those those sorts of tweaks and changes once the stages are are actually on the ground and like I said, because of some logistical issues, we ended up running a squad of shooters on Thursday, which was typically build day. This is, you know, when I when I was going through the, the stages and, and trying to make those tweaks and, and changes. And not all the stages needed, but some of them did. And because this squad was was getting ready to shoot and wanted to have enough time, that, that process did end up getting cut short. And in retrospect, I think I do wish that I had pushed back a little bit harder to make some changes to the stages before anybody had shot them um, possibly you know the maybe the squad could could start on stage one and, and keep working on some of the later ones because i mean for example stage one at this match was designed by brian wolf I, he was there to help set it up and it was set up exactly to the diagram and it was it was a great stage the the angles were well calibrated the the shooting positions were tricky you couldn't just kind of stand in one spot and shoot everything Meanwhile, on the very next bay over, which because of this numbering scheme happened to be bay nine, was what I thought was a, a really good stage design on paper from Jarrett Heinrich, one of the other stage designers who contributes stages to the Sir Walter match with me, uh, as well as contributing stages to Area 6. He had, he had put together a pretty good design, but the the build crew that had put it together didn't appreciate a lot of the nuances of sort of the walls and the positioning and that stage in particular was the one that that i didn't that that i wish i'd had more time with and it just there were spots where you could basically post up and shoot 10 to 12 shots 
basically from one position. There was a, a pretty bad and not 180 trap. I mean, I hate the word trap, but but you, it was very tempting. There was a spot where you were coming out of a port and it was very tempting to to shoot right at the 180. And if you were to stumble or, or blip the gun for whatever reason, you were going to be breaking the 180. And, and it just created the kind of risk that you would like to eliminate from major match stages. And just, just in general, it ended up being a, a, a more sort of it was just a, a very plain stage. There wasn't a lot of interesting choices or shooting or trade-offs. It was a lot of just go to the spot, shoot all the targets, move to the next spot, shoot all the targets, where the, the actual design that Jarrett had put together was, I think, quite good. So, yeah, there were there were definitely a number of spots like that. Uh, stage 2, which was the, the one that I had designed, ended up being much more of a memory stage on the ground than I had I had designed it to be. And so just things like that, where if I had had another hour or two to maybe move some walls, add or remove barrel stacks, that kind of thing, I think the stages could have been better. Now, don't get me wrong. I think the stages were good. They just, I don't think they were, they were the best that they could have been. And they could have been quite a bit better with not that much more work. You know, all the, all the work of setting up walls and fault lines, that's, that's the really hard stuff. It's the little tweaks, you know, just pulling a few nails, moving a wall stand six inches you know, a couple feet, something like that, just to change the angles, maybe pulling up a target, moving it six feet one way or another, something like that. It's, it's not a huge amount of work, but those little tweaks, if you can have somebody on the staff for your match who can look through and really look for those opportunities to, to take a stage that is fine and really take it to the next level by adding those little nuances or, or just whether it's, so, you know, we had, uh, John Royer, the, the match director had these, pieces of, of poster board of, of uh, Coroplast printed up that had the section logo on it and the Blue Bullets logo, who were the, the title sponsor, and they're based out of North Carolina here. He, he had these pieces of, of Coroplast printed up to staple on, onto walls to use to protect them from getting shot. But also they, they let us very sort of carefully calibrate exactly how much of a how much a target was partialed by a wall because you could adjust these things in and out before you stapled them up and then once they're stapled up they're there for the whole weekend and so by by just having somebody to, to go through i think you can you can really take a match with not that much more work and take the stages from good to great and again i, I in retrospect i wish i had been a little more insistent about that because I think these stages had a lot more potential and and some of them were were fine some of them I, I actually got a chance to tweak a little bit um, some of them didn't need any tweaking at all like I said like like stage one that that's that's my main regret looking back is is just not sort of spending more time just just making those little improvements to the stages as they were built and you know things like on on stage nine not to rattle on about this one too much but for whatever reason they moved the start position from the back center of the shooting area to the dead center of the shooting area. But there was really no viable option except to run from the center of the shooting area, eight, maybe 10 feet straight back to the back center of the shooting area where the start position was in the diagram. And so basically it just meant that the RO had to do the whole thing of like trying to get the, get the timer near the shooter and, and hit the, hit the button to give them the beep, but also not get bowled over moving back. And, and, you know, it's just the kind of thing where that was reasonably foreseeable, but we just didn't have the, didn't have the time to sort of debug those issues, which it is what it is. Like I said, that's my main lesson learned from, from this match. I, I will also say I personally have sort of changed my philosophy. I think 
when I have been asked to submit a stage for, for this match, I've gone with a, a blank sheet of paper and tried to design something using Rowan's three-sided bays because most of the stage design that I do for Sir Walter is on, well, it's all either on a, a bay with concrete walls on left and on the left and right, so you only have the back berm, or some of the stages I have two berms to work with, but it's on a somewhat small, kind of wide, shallow bay. And so I've kind of my temptation and, and what I've done the last few years is, you know, take the dimensions of this Rowan Bay that I have to work with and just go crazy. And I, I don't think that worked because fundamentally, as you, as you come up with stage ideas and run them at a monthly match, some of them work and some of them don't. And so my philosophy going in, going forward is to look back at the, the last year's worth of stages and find something that was an interesting club match stage and then scale it up to a Rowan three-sided berm bay, you know, find a place to move some targets around or maybe add an array or some walls, but fundamentally take the core of something that's been proven at the club level to work and, and scale it up. Because to be totally honest, the, the, the stage designs that I've submitted for the, the, the section match are not necessarily some of my best work because they're not based on what has been proven to work. And a lot of times, you know, when you're submitting stages for a monthly match, like I said, some of them work, some of them don't. And there's really not a great way to know ahead of time until you just kind of try a bunch of different stuff and, and see what sticks. And so for me, the big lesson, for example, going into submitting stages for the Area 6 match in the spring Every single stage that I submitted for that was based on a match or on a stage that I built and thought or designed. I didn't physically build it, but the stage that I designed and that was run at Sir Walter and that I thought worked that, that, that basically achieved what I was set out to do with the stage design, because there are stages that you, you build something and it just doesn't work. And so you don't submit those for bigger matches but to me it should be this this culling and collating process where an area match should be some of the best stages that were run anywhere in that area in the past year potentially nationals should be should be uh soliciting stages from people across the country that are some of the best stages that they've run all year and so by by not just trying to come up with something big and bad and and totally new that nobody's seen before by taking some of its sort of a greatest hits of, of the previous year's stages, I think the, the quality can be quite a bit better. And so, like I said, for area six, that that's my approach. And then going forward for, for next year at the section, I'll, I'll be doing the same thing. Something I'll submit either something that didn't get used for area six or something that I've designed, you know, this year that, that worked well at the club level, just scaled up and tweaked for, for, for the level two stage. Um, and then the last thing that I, that I just wanted to talk about here was a, a particular stage that I thought was interesting. And I, I don't see a lot of these, but it was a, it was a stage with three shooting areas that were all separated and you don't see this a lot because in a lot of cases you can accomplish the same thing with just more vision barriers and, and walls and barrels and that sort of thing. But actually this, this style of stage where basically you started in there were three boxes, one on the back left, one on the back right, and one in the, the front center. And you started in either the back left or the back right box, and you pretty much had to shoot from a couple positions in the back left, a couple positions in the back right, and then basically run to the front of the, the, the front box and shoot from there. And I, again, didn't really... I looked at this and I was like, okay, this is a little unusual. But it wasn't until we were actually shooting it as a squad and I got to see 
uh, some competitors over the weekend actually run it that I, I realized there's there's a reason that that you don't see this kind of stage at, at big matches and fundamentally I think it's just because anytime you're having shooters enter and leave the shooting area you get a lot of squirrely first of all squirrely procedural calls so you have to be really precise about calling foot faults if somebody's you know is the back foot six inches off the ground two inches off the ground when they break the shot stepping in people honestly they're tempted to do some some pretty borderline dangerous stuff in terms of maintaining a lot of speed if they're trying to shoot a target as they're falling out of the shooting area and and just generally i I think it those types of stages create unnecessary hard to really be sure rules calls about foot faults and then just you know potentially safety issues with you know it's up yes it is on every competitor to make sure they don't break the 180 but at the same time if you can design stages that don't tempt the shooter into doing anything that comes really close i think that's a good thing and so to me having seen how the stage ran i don't think i would you know really encourage that kind of stage design at a bigger match it i think it probably works fine at a local match where people aren't really pushing speed but at a level two and people are trying to get sort of every edge they can they're really amped up and juiced up um you're going to see people you know really doing some some pretty rowdy stuff and uh and i think again i it, at the end of the day yes it's on the competitor to to make sure they're not doing anything unsafe and it's also on the competitor to make sure that anytime they're shooting their foot is unambiguously not on the ground outside the shooting area so you know you might be a millimeter off the ground but if the ro can't see that then they're still going to call the footfall and so i think that kind of stage tends to create those questionable issues and at the end of the day you can you can almost always recreate the same angles and shooting challenge with walls and fault lines that don't require you to either fall out of the fault line or be tempted to shoot stepping into the fault line so that was that was one of those where again i hadn't really seen a a situation like that at at a big match like this and i think in the future if i were to see something like that i would i would have more reservations about it just because like I'm saying, at, at a local match, I don't know that people are really going to swing for the fences that hard on on this kind of stage where you're shooting, either entering or leaving multiple shooting boxes. But at a level two, especially one with a lot of competition, which luckily we were very blessed to have, then, yeah, people are going to push the boundaries quite a lot and and create some situations that just, that just don't need to be there. So, like I said... Uh, lesson learned i don't think it was bad i think it 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 worked but just things that i am personally attuned for looking forward and and that i would sort of if i had input recommend against going forward so we're already at over 35 minutes which is rather longer than i like to go on this podcast 20 to 25 is my goal but I, I I didn't think I would have two podcasts worth of material in this one, uh, but here we are almost at uh, twice, twice the normal runtime. And this is all leaving everything about running Chrono for a separate episode. So I ended up uh, volunteering to run the Chrono for this match. So I didn't even run a single shooter through a stage. I just spent the whole day under an easy up running the, running the Chrono. And I've got a whole other podcasts worth of notes on that. So that'll be the next episode that that i'll record and put out and the only other thing that that i'll have to say is that we have confirmed the dates for next year so we'll be back at rowan 
the third weekend in September. Once again, the the normal second weekend is is being taken by a nationals. Uh, I think this time it's PCC and open. But yeah, there's a nationals the the normal weekend. So we'll be back at Roan third weekend in September, the 14th through the 17th. And if any of the stuff that I've talked about here or any of the match videos you've seen from the match seem like this, make it seem like this would be a match that's that's worth your time, we would definitely be glad to have you. You know, we we really look at this as, as an opportunity to try and put on the best match for competitors that want that. And hopefully this is this is of interest to, to some of you. Hopefully some of you did get to shoot it this year or last year and understand the, the level of quality that we're trying to put in the match. And it'll be the same crew running it next year. John Royer, match director. Stephanie will be section coordinator. I'll be in the background fielding questions and, you know, trying to offer unsolicited opinions uh, here and there, but it'll, uh, it'll be, it'll be the same crew and hopefully you can join us. Well, that's all I've got for this week. If you want to get in touch with me, my email is podcast at barryshooting.com. Talk to you next time.